Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. When Joseph Ratzinger was elected Pope in 2005, he found himself with incredible shoes to fill. Uh, John Paul II was being called John Paul the Great. And um, over the last quarter century, he saw his predecessor become a spiritual father to millions. What part did Pope Benedict play in leading the Church into the new millennium alongside Pope John Paul II? With me right now to answer that question and many others is George Weigel, author most recently of To Sanctify the World, The Vital Legacy of Vatican II. He's the Distinguished Senior Fellow and William E. Simon Chair in Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. His many other books include God's Choice, Pope Benedict XVI, and the Future of the Catholic Church. George, good to have you here. Thank you. Good to be with you, Al, and um, good afternoon from Rome. You're a frequent visitor to Rome, uh, and of course on this occasion there's mourning going on, but at the same time there's got to be a tremendous uh, expression of appreciation for this remarkable man. Anything you can tell us that's distinctive about uh, what's happening in Rome at the moment? Yesterday, Al, the mayor of Rome was putting out the word that they expected 30,000 people to come into the Basilica to pay their respects to Pope Emeritus Benedict. Well, there were twice that many yesterday. Wow. There will probably at least be twice that many, if not more, today. Uh, I had the opportunity to go into the Basilica with my old friend Cardinal George Fell. At 10.30 this morning, there was a constant stream of people going up to center aisle of St. Peter's, briefly paying their respects, and then moving on. The Cardinal and I were able to pray near the deer, the catafalque, where Pope Benedict's remains are resting. I would say that the atmosphere is one of great gratitude. Yeah, yeah. For 95 years of an extraordinary life, which obviously touched an exceptional number of people in, in a very deep way. Yeah. I think there's also a sense, this is the definitive closing of an era. We're marking the death of the last of the truly monumental figures of the Catholic 20th century. And in an even wider historical lens, the end of an era of magnificent Catholic theological development that goes back to the late 18th and early 19th century. Mm -hmm. So all of that is in play here psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. Interestingly enough, when Cardinal Pell and I left the Basilica, Archbishop Georg Gainsheim, uh, the Pope Emeritus's longtime secretary, mm -hmm. was just coming in. So we exchanged condolences. Archbishop Gainsheim then told Cardinal Pell that the last book that Pope Emeritus Benedict read before he died was the first volume of Cardinal Pell's prison diaries. Really? Wow. So that was quite uh, touching. Wow, amazing. Uh, so that's, yeah, yeah, that's the atmosphere. To you know, I, I know I'm not alone in saying that uh, he was, uh, in my mind, the most reliable voice in the Catholic Church uh, for many years, and is it inevitable that he'll become a doctor of the Church? Well, he has to be. He has to be canonized first. Yes, yes, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Okay. Uh, well, I was going to get to the. That, that, there's a sequence of tenses here, so to speak. I think it's always prudent for the church to let the teaching of some great 
mind uh, sink into the life of the Church for perhaps a century or so before mm-hmm. declaring this person doctor of the Church. But measured by the standards of the current men and women honored with that title, uh, Joseph Ratzinger is in that league. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's in that league not simply because he was a guardian of orthodoxy, but because he helped the Church develop its doctrine in an orthodox way. Yeah. I should have started, though, you're right, with talking about his own... He was not just a, a brilliant mind. He was a mind that was sanctified. I mean, he he operated with no barrier between pursuit of holiness and the pursuit of truth. Does he have a reputation for sanctity? I certainly think so, yeah. and I know many others yeah. think so. Uh, I mean, I knew the man for 35 years, actually knew him longer than I knew John Paul II. And I was always struck by uh, his human qualities. He was a, a true gentleman. He was a, a very gentle soul who uh, I think simply could not understand some of the viciousness that was constantly being thrown uh, at him. Cardinal Joachim Meisner, the late Archbishop of Cologne, once said that, that Ratzinger had the mind of 12 professors and the simple piety, clear piety of a child making their first Holy Communion. <laughs> and that's, that's a very, very powerful combination, and the two obviously influenced each other. Yeah. Yeah. At the center of that, as you and I discussed when we were talking about my Vatican II book, The Sanctified World, was this profound sense that it is the person of Jesus Christ who is at the center of the Christian reality. Mm-hmm. And what the Church proposes is not first itself. The Church proposes and proclaims Jesus Christ. Right. Right. And through meeting him, we come to the Church. He published that three volumes of his own quest for the face of Jesus, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. It was a book project that he uh, deliberately uh, uh, went about. Many of his books, close to 70, I think, were not intended as originally as books. They were occasional addresses, uh, interviews, uh, essays, uh, homilies, various uh, works. Uh, but he, one of the few books that he intended from the beginning was Jesus of Nazareth, which was, he published it as Pope, but did not claim that it was, it had the authority of the, quote, official magisterium, but was basically his own personal quest to know Jesus better. He never published a systematic theology. Is that because he was so taken up with the immediate needs of the Church that he wasn't able to, if you wish, indulge his own intellectual interests, but had to, again, use his mind for the service of others? That was certainly part of the drama of his life, Al. Um, When he was asked... uh, appointed by Paul VI as, Munich, as Archbishop of Munich and Freising, he hesitated because he knew that this would mean laying aside the opportunity to create a great theological project. When he was brought to Rome by John Paul II, 
part of the deal, so to speak, was that he could keep writing in his own name. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked, asked John Paul if that'd be all right, and John Paul said, said yeah, it's fine. And as you say, he, he poured out a stream of works. Uh, I think at the end of his life, at the death of John Paul II, he really wanted to finish this Jesus of Nazareth project, mm-hmm. which is not a formal Christology, it's a kind of life of Christ, mm-hmm. but it's it's done in a way that brings together the best of, of contemporary biblical scholarship with older reflections, more classical reflections on the life of Christ, in a very powerful synthesis. Um, and I think that is a book, those are a trilogy, as you know, uh, people will be reading that hundreds of years from now. Yeah, yeah, that's my and impression. that's not something that many contemporary authors can say. <laughs> I mean, somebody will be reading my book 200, 300 years from now. Yeah, there was a great deal of self-sacrifice here. Yeah. Uh, intellectual self-sacrifice, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, he did write one other book that was, uh, Cardinal Gerhard Mueller has pointed this out in some recent interviews, it was a, you know, a, a book book from start to finish. It was it was on eschatology, on heaven and hell, purgatory, right. and the last thing, etc. I find it a very powerful work. It, it requires a bit of work for the non-specialist, uh, but it's um, another example of a world-class mind uh, in operation. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was saying to uh, another uh, Catholic radio colleague um, earlier today, one, one of the things that always struck me about as he then was Cardinal Ratzinger, was that you would ask him a question, he'd pause and reflect, and then he would answer in complete paragraphs. <laughs> yes, you point this out in your letters from sentences. Rome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the way I figured this out was, he was very gracious when I was preparing Witness to Hope, first volume of the JP2 biography, and he let me use a little tape recorder to record our conversations. And I'm thinking, while we're talking, good grief, this guy is speaking in complete paragraphs. (laughs) But I I must be imagining this. Then I get back to the North American College, where I was living in those days, and I start transcribing this, and there there they are, complete (laughs) paragraphs. Wow. In in what was his his fourth language. (laughs) My. Wow. I mean, an incredibly orderly mind, and I think that's why he was such a brilliant teacher during his academic career. I mean, this is never commented upon, but people would line up in the streets to get into his lectures at Tübingen or Regensburg Mm. or Bonn, the three universities where he taught, because there was this remarkable clarity which I hope this isn't an ethnic slur, it's not the normal style of the German professoriate. (laughs) (laughs) Given a certain sense of convolution, not unlike the German language itself. Um, Especially in translation, right? (laughs) John Paul II was beloved in his native Poland. Joseph Ratzinger 
was not as beloved in his native Germany. Does that spell trouble for the future? I would say uh, Joseph Ratzinger was beloved by the living parts of the Catholic Church in Germany. Gotcha. Uh, the dying parts of the Catholic Church in Germany, uh, which are quite prominent public today, publicly today, as they continue down a citadel path that some have more accurately described as the suicidal path, yeah. he was always the enemy. And that's a terrible tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I actually did an interview for uh, the major onside German Catholic newspaper, Die Tagespost, over the weekend, and I said, it, Americans find this bewildering, but also shameful, mm -hmm. that he was so little appreciated in his own country. Yeah, it is. It's stunning. Um, just, just as one familiar with his output, you would think on those grounds alone uh, there'd be some residual respect, anyways, uh, for him. Certainly, to see him as the enemy is a bad sign, to say the least. It, it's one of many bad signs, right. of course, in the German Catholic scene at the moment. And, you know, one has to hope and pray that this might be a moment of reconsideration mm. for the lay and clerical leadership of German Catholicism, a moment of sobering up, if you will. So let's hope that, that uh, there is some effect uh, toward that end. Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, I'll bid you adieu. Thank you, George. I really appreciate you taking Thanks, the time. Al. Okay. We'll talk again.